This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. We've got another bonus episode for you today, and here to tell us all about it is our producer, Josh Christensen. Hey, Josh. Hey, Kate. So for the last five episodes, we've been looking at race in the workplace. We've talked to racial equity consultant Dorian St. Fleur about what companies get wrong about DEI. Porter Braswell from Jopwell about the myth of the pipeline problem. Code 2040 CEO Mimi Fox Melton about tone policing and white privilege at work. And Dr. Courtney McClooney from Cornell University about code switching and culture fit. They each covered these issues that are crucial to any company or individual's progress towards addressing their shortcomings in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Doreen Ann talked about how each piece of the DEI puzzle fits together and how the best intentions fall apart when one is ignored. And Porter addressed how simply recruiting from historically black colleges and universities isn't enough to add diversity to your hiring process. And Mimi broke down what forms tone policing takes at work and how it's a symptom of bias towards a white professional standard. And in our last episode, Dr. McClooney shared some really fascinating research on how code switching plays out at work, especially in our new remote work environments. She also shared a simple shift that hiring managers can make to check their bias when they evaluate candidates. One thing we've come back to time and time again in these episodes is that issues like this are massive and affect so many people. I think it can be easy to lose the individual experience in that scope. One part of all these episodes that keeps sticking out to me is the emotional labor that continues to fall disproportionately on BIPOC employees. Just the decision of whether to speak up or not about microaggressions or harassment or abuse is added labor. Oh, a hundred percent. And that came up in our episode with Mimi when white people want to figure these things out. They often seek out any person of color that they know and ask them to help explain it. And that's so draining. And she points out that it's a type of work that it frankly should be compensated. So think about all the emotional work that people of color have to deal with day to day and then add on top of that being asked to educate all of these well-meaning white people. Yeah, and to Mimi's point, there's any number of people that companies and these well-meaning white people can talk to to help their company become more inclusive. And pay them for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And pay them for it instead of uh, asking for more unpaid emotional labor from from people who are already overburdened with unpaid emotional labor. Or the, yeah, don't do the dreaded, can I pick your brain about something? You yes, know? yes, yes. <laughs> so on today's episode, we're going to hear from Kelly and his experience in the workplace. Kelly is a black man from New York, and he's worked across a number of industries over the past decade. He's worked in the restaurant industry, in nonprofit arts administration, as an actor and performer, and most recently during the pandemic, at his first corporate job in finance. He's had to navigate 
all of these issues we've talked about over the last five episodes in each one of these jobs to some degree or another. This is his story. My first job in high school was a cashier at ShopRite. And growing up in, in those beginning positions was, I was always told, you know, like called an Oreo, like black on the outside, one on the inside, like, oh, I sound white. Or being told by white people, oh, I'm blacker than you, which was the most disrespectful, annoying thing you could, you, you could ever hear from someone not understanding like the life experience of what it actually means. Um, I worked professionally a little bit as a performer. I've also worked while I was in high school as a counselor in arts camp, restaurants, eight years restaurant experience uh, as a server. Now about eight or so months in a corporate position, which is blowing my mind. And it's just the craziest transition and it's 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 a weird it's a weird position because it's I'm not seeing the faces of the people who I'm working with I'm only hearing their voices seeing their names on you know on the instant messenger apps so it's it's always interesting how I'm interpreting how they're perceiving me so I always kind of like weigh the dynamic of how the people talk to me who know I'm black and who know I'm a male versus the people who might not know what I look like at all and thinking about when I first interviewed for this, um, and I often wondered because I had a connection and the connection hooked me up with the interview with the manager who was hiring. I still to this day wonder, did he ever tell him I was black or <laughs> did he ever figure out that I was black by the way I was talking? I mean, obviously, I know how to code switch. And I think um, <clears throat> I was I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, you know, I was very professional and I immediately phrase it that way like I'm code switching to sound professional but the whole idea of professionalism and its ties to kind of Eurocentric expectations of what a professional or a stand-up member of um, society or this culture should be but I often wonder did he tell them I was black he probably didn't like it's not it was probably not necessary for him to know and I often wondered did they know <laughs> I was black the whole time but also it was such an interesting process trying to feel people out in that world um, because I was just like, I didn't know how to act in a corporate environment. So it was just like, let me just interject some personality where I can and see what I get back. Because there's a huge part of me that wants, like, I want to know who you are. Who are my allies here? And it's like, and you like specifically target the white people. It's like, okay, so what's, are, are we cool or not? Like, I need to discover if I can roll with Todd or not based on like how he feels and what he would do or what he would say you know what i'm saying so there it's it's kind of like like i said i was trying to sense that out via you know microsoft teams <laughs> you know and try to like who who like who can i roll with here and it's so hard doing that in a virtual work setting you know it all it all goes back to perception and what people think you are and you know the lines people crossed and trying to get you to be a certain way or feel a certain way about yourself myself and my identity I, and I remember this 
so prevalently. And it was um, my first paid theater gig over the summer, um, you know, in between college. And it was a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. And of course, like, why would there have to be a racial issue? All I wanted to do was come enjoy my first professional job. You know, and I was the only black person in the entire cast. So uh, obviously there's the fear in the back of the mind that I would be singled out somehow. But I always tried to think, okay, what are the ways that I can prevent myself from being singled out today? But it was one rehearsal. And of course, it's Gilbert and Sullivan. So I think some of the lyrics were changed and it was changed to kind of, you know, reflect pop culture. So there was something I was just in the ensemble, but there was something that uh, there was one lyric that kind of alluded to a rapper and I can't remember what it was. So naturally, and this is this is from the director themselves. Naturally, he he's like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> We have Kelly here, so he so why don't you put your arm around him, bring him up for this moment, and so you're front and center. And I can't tell you how many moments in my life I've experienced like this, but since this is my first professional job, obviously I remember it very well. I don't know if people were cringing as much as I was. I don't know if people could tell how much I was cringing on the inside and I was just keeping that smile on my face. I, you know, I was laughing it off. I don't think people were laughing. I think people might have legitimately thought it was funny and not really understanding my experience. But, um, you know, I talked to my roommate, one of my best friends afterwards, and he definitely was able to, he definitely had a good diagnosis of the situation. And it took me a while and it took me talking to them and going back and forth to be like, should I say something? I think I should say something or should I just let it be? But then I'm just like, I don't think I could live with myself if I were to ever let this go. You know, I went to rehearsal the next day. We did it again. I cringed. I was so uncomfortable. And I finally came to the, the decision that I that I was going to talk to him. And I was so nervous. I was such a mousy 19-year-old. And I thought about the fallout that if I did pull him aside and have a private conversation with him and then we changed it in rehearsal, everybody would know. And I felt like there would be judgment from people because they would have known that I said something and would have to change it. But I finally got over that and my mousy self walked up to him so nervous and said, and I just said, hi, so you know about that moment? I'm really uncomfortable with it. And he was just like, great, done. We'll change it. No problem. And that was it. And I appreciated that, but at the same time, it was like, there's like no remorse. I was like, do you actually understand how hard it was for me to come up to you and say this and to go through the last two days having to having to literally be humiliated and singled out in a cast of 30 white people and me? I just wanted to enjoy my summer. And it, I just kept thinking, everybody else just, just gets to come do this show, have fun, enjoy their summer, and not have to worry about shit like this. But me, of course, <laughs> of course me, being the only Black person in this cast, something like that comes up, and that takes so much mental and physical energy to work myself up just to express that I'm uncomfortable in a single moment. Like, why is this happening to me? Does, does everybody else understand the magnitude? To them, it's just a two-second bit in a play and we move on from there. To me, just the emotional endurance that that takes. We're doing a job, our emotional energy should be directed elsewhere, but 
you know, it, it, it's really unfortunate. And it gets me riled up even when it's not my situation, when I'm on a call with a friend and, you know, they're talking about it. And I'm just like, I hate that this sounds so familiar because we keep going through this. And I get that, you know, they may be well-intentioned white people and they may be trying to do their best, but I don't think they realize how it's coming off or how they're singling you out. You know, it's, if you're going to balance a scale, you got to, you got to add more to one side. You know, you have to give more energy. You have to realize, wow, I cast a very, very talented young man or young woman. They're the only person of color here. I need to realize that. And I need to think about how I address them, actively try not to single them out or make them feel uncomfortable. And I just need to do the best I can for this person. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen.